This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air. Hello and welcome to Alive with Bhavna. I am Bhavna. Thank you for listening to today's show where I'll be talking about identity with the question, who am I? For those new to the show, I'm Bhavna Nagar. I've worked as a clinical psychologist for the past 20 years, both in New Zealand and in South Africa, where I come from. I came to New Zealand 13 years ago. I started a business called Alive Psychology. Although mindfulness practice started in South Africa, it grew and matured into its self-love practice here in New Zealand. This resulted in me writing a book entitled Self-Love, The First Step. And this book gives people tools on how to improve their relationship with themselves, incorporating both mindfulness and self-love traditional psychology practices. So the two very different books that has influenced my thinking over the last month has been Woman Don't Owe You Pretty by Florence Given and Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty. This is not a big book review about the books, but I'm sharing what I've learned about facing whatever these books have aroused in me. Jay's book starts with a quote by Charles Horton Colley, a 1902 sociologist, who wrote, I am not what I think I am. I am not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. I'll just repeat that one more time so you can really hear it. I am not what I think I am. I am not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. Our identity, our sense of self, our self-worth is deeply Tied to what we think other people think or expect from us. Our values are linked to our social cultural environments. This is where Florence's book comes in. In a book, she breaks down what it means to be a woman and where we get our values and our sense of worth from. According to her, the idea of pretty stems from white, heterosexual male, idealized version of what a woman should be. This means that the closer you are to white, thin, genetically female, heterosexual, and lacking in any disability or deformity, the prettier you are, and the more privileges you are accorded in life. From a young age, women are taught that our value is based on how we look and how we behave. Little girls want to look pretty. They want to wear makeup and high heels. We applaud these ideas and even encourage little girls to perform femininity rituals so that it can prepare them for later in life when their value depends on it. Every day in social media I see mothers sharing videos of how their little girls are playing with makeup or beauty aids, wanting to be pretty and sexy. When a baby is born, I remember that the first thing my grandparents would comment on was the child's skin color. 
Ah, he's so beautiful because he's light-skinned. Growing up, I only had white skin or white-toned dolls. I remember watching the Miss World contests and seeing how beautiful these white-skinned women were and generally where they were the ones who won the contest. A friend from India told me that in India, many women avoid going out in the sun because they're afraid of getting darker tones. In South Africa, many of the African ladies use skin lightening products and hair straightening products so that they can get closer to this actualized version of beauty that we have been fed generation after generation. White is beautiful, and with it comes various privileges that women of color are not automatically accorded. My guess is that most women would have at, at some stage in their lives thought of themselves as fat and gone on a diet. Body image, in terms of thin being the ideal sign of beauty and acceptance, is so deeply embedded in our view of women that many of us have never questioned it. For me, this is despite growing up in a culture or a country where For many African women, rounded women are seen as more attractive because it implies that she comes from a prosperous family, that she has money and that she's healthy, especially during the HIV pandemic. Bigger women were seen as healthy. And our desire to be thin, we fight our bodies and make ourselves feel inadequate because we cannot reach this idealized, fantasized version of what I should look like. We are fed images of skinny, anorexic-looking models selling us clothes, beauty aids, makeup, basically almost anything under the sun. From a young age, my father spoke to me about my weight and questioned me when I wanted to eat unhealthy foods like chips or dessert. From early adolescence, I started one diet after another, always chasing this ideal version of myself, to be thin. Trying, sometimes getting there, and then gaining weight again, over and over, yo-yoing. So start again, another diet. I constantly battled with my weight and feeling that I was not good enough. Some women are literally killing themselves by not eating to fit into this image, to feel accepted, to feel worthy, to feel good enough. Because if we don't meet these expectations, then it means that we are less than, not worthy enough, not good enough for a man. And being less than, might mean that I won't find a man who wants to marry me, take me off the shelf, make me an honorable woman. These are all the words we use to describe single women or women who are living on their own. Divorced women are generally blamed for the relationship ending and for them breaking up the family. Friends of single women generally try to encourage us to meet someone 
because your worth is dependent on you being in a relationship. I remember talking once to a friend and I told him that I was really happy at the present moment. And he said, great, are you dating someone? Because clearly a single woman cannot be happy on her own. I can only be happy if I had a man, someone, to make me feel worthy, to make me feel whole. Besides how we're supposed to look, the patriarchal notion of woman also dictates how we should act or behave, what we should like, and in essence, who I am. The Stepford Wives are the idealized version of this perfect woman. She is white, always well-dressed and groomed, cooks great food, welcomes her husband home after a long day, takes care of the children, ensures that the home is clean and cozy. She never argues or does anything that might challenge his authority, his masculinity, or his sense of self-worth. From about the age of 11, I actively fought being a girl. I didn't want a gender change. I just didn't like what being my gender meant for me. Growing up in apartheid South Africa, in an Indian community, being a woman to me meant being subservient, a servant to my husband and children, and my needs did not matter. So, if anyone told me I looked pretty, I immediately went to my room and changed my clothing. I did not want to be pretty, because pretty meant that I was a girl, and a girl meant that I had to play that role that I did not want to play. As young girls, we are taught to be quiet, obedient, respectful. Many of my clients tell me that they have great difficulty in saying no to men because that's not what a good woman does. Don't talk too much. Don't show off. Don't act clever. Otherwise, boys will be intimidated by you. We are taught that women are nurturing and therefore the rightful person to care for their child. Many mothers tell me that they had to learn mothering. It did not come naturally and automatically. As a young girl, I was expected to help my mother in the kitchen and do the cleaning. I recall one day my mother, brother and I were watching TV. My brother said he would like tea. And my mother told me to make his royal highness some tea. I said no, if he wants tea he can make it himself. So my mum got up to make the tea. Men in our society are praised for helping your wife with the housework, for helping her to look after the children, implying that it's her job to do it. And by you helping her also implies that she's not doing her job properly because she needs help. As women, we are taught not to be sexual or not interested in sexual encounters. When I was doing my internship in South Africa, one of my colleagues did a research on STDs and HIV in high schools, in a high school. 
she found that most of the adolescents were sexually active. The boys bragged about it. The girls all pretended to be virgins and completely ignorant of STDs or HIV. Although they all knew what HIV was and that it was real, they all pretended that it did not exist. If a girl asked a boy to wear a condom, it implied that she had HIV and therefore was no longer pure. And think about the word virgin. It generally only refers to a woman. Still today, when a woman is raped, she is asked what was she wearing, meaning that it was her fault for dressing sexually and asking for it. So this is what we've come up against or what's been bred into us. So how do we change some of these messages and find out who I really am to separate to what I think about me and figuring out what I really want as opposed to what I think you think about me? How do we change these generational messages of what it means to be a woman? In many ways, the meaning of what it means to be a woman has changed. In New Zealand, women are encouraged to have jobs that were traditionally male or working in male-dominated fields. On another level, nothing much has changed. Women are still encouraged to be pretty. And what that means has not changed over the years. It's still white, heterosexual, cisgender, thin, with no deformities or disabilities. A movie that supports this dominant discourse that I like is The Runaway Bride. I use this idea of starting to figure out who I am and what I like. I think of it as dating myself. I started figuring out what do I eat, what do I do, how do I dress, and is that really what I want, what I think of me, or what I think I should be doing? Do I drink coffee out of habit, or because I like it? The same thing with what I have for breakfast, etc. How is what I do influenced by the patriarchal view? And what is it for me? If I'm going to the gym to get thin or have a certain body type or shape following the norms of being a social bunny, a gym bunny, then I'm not doing it for me. If I go to the gym or play sport because I like it, because it makes me feel good, then it is for me. So for me, first I had to be honest with myself and touch into my heart and feel into the reasons why I was doing what I was doing. To be honest enough to face the truth and find out what is my programming and what is in my best interest. And then to find a way to change that narrative. Not like how I did in the adolescence where I was fighting it, because that is still following the dominant narrative, but on the other side. I'm talking about changing the narrative. I started with the outside. What I ate, how I dressed. I've never been into makeup unless it was stage makeup. So 
That was not something I had to think about. Maybe you have to think about that. I started figuring out what I like in terms of food, drink, activities, and people I interacted with. Looking at what activities enriched me, made me feel alive, made me feel good about myself, and what activities sapped my energy, made me feel tired, made me feel depressed. Regarding my body, I learned to love myself as I am. That meant accepting my body shape and size. Interestingly, this happened for me when I started doing public belly dance performances. Yes, belly dance can be seen as supporting the patriarchal view of women, objectifying women. But I loved dancing and performing. Not because of men seeing me, but because my inner show pony loved it. I loved all aspects of it. The costumes, the ladies I danced with, the dancers, moving my body in a certain way, reclaiming my breast, reclaiming my body for me. I loved the audience, not the men, but the woman. The woman who'd come up to us when we did community performances and says, it's really great seeing real women on the stage. Because if you can put yourself out there, then so can I. We inspired this woman. My favorite place to perform was at the Sound Shell. And that was because in front of the stage, there's all these little kids dancing with no inhibitions, just enjoying moving their bodies and copying what we're doing on stage. I loved watching them as they watched us. So I learned to appreciate my body, accept my body, my feminine form for myself and how it felt and how to celebrate it. If you've listened to the show previously, you'll know that I'm a big fan of playing with touch and using touch to reconnect with my body. Mindfully, this is about bringing ourselves back into our bodies. From a self-love perspective, it's learning to appreciate my touch and then bringing in love and acceptance for my body through touch to and from myself. Noticing the parts of my body that I like to touch and the parts that I did not like to touch. Noticing the thoughts in my mind when I went, oh, I don't like touching that. That's a bit uh, rude. That's a bit bad. Noticing my commentary about what I touched and where I touched myself. Learning that I can touch me for me and I can accept touch from other people. Learning what kind of touch I did like, what kind of touch I don't like. I care about my weight and fitness for health reasons and because of how it makes me feel. It's about my appraisal of myself. I also had to change the narrative in my mind. I had to stop berating and insulting myself based on expectations that I could never meet. I am never going to be a thin white woman. I had to learn how to reparent myself with love and compassion. Bringing back the parts of me 
that I excluded because they did not fit into the dominant patriarchal view of who I am or how I should behave or what I should be doing. Gently nurturing those parts and accepting them as real, accepting them as valid, accepting them as me. I learned that it was okay to say no. And no one died when I said no. People didn't disown me when I said no. And if they did, those were not the kind of people I wanted in my life anyway, the people who were using me. I learned to listen to what both men and women say. If the men I'm around talk about allowing their wives, partners, to do certain things or forbidding them from doing certain things, I call them up on that. And likewise, when I hear a woman saying, I'm not allowed to do this, I challenge those views. We need to support each other in changing these narratives because these narratives didn't come from me. It came from the society I live in, in the world I live in, that told me my value is dependent on being woman and that means being a certain way. So we need to support each other and grow together, both men and women, to be ourselves, to be real, to connect with who I am and who you are. But first we need to figure out how much of my values stems from a view that I don't own, that was forced upon me, that was bred into me. Thank you for listening to this show. If you have any questions or comments, you're welcome to contact me. Um, the best place to contact me is go to my website, which is www.alivepsych.co.nz. You can also find me on Facebook, Alive Psychology. Have a good day. Thank you. This show was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, Hawke's Bay's community access radio station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for enabling us to put Hawke's Bay voices on air.